Welcome to the Darkness Dwells podcast. I am your host, Jason White. And uh, who is that with me? It's your co-host, Michael Shadryan. Yay! <laughs> Hello, everybody. How's it going? It's good. Um, I have I have good news on my next novel front. I am almost done, like completely done rewrites and everything. Wow. Uh, trumpet sound. That's good news. You've been working really hard on this one. I have, and it's because I write and I work a lot slower than than like all my Facebook friends when I see their posts and how much they do. It's it's a it's a more drawn out process for me. <laughs> yeah. Do do you hate those writers who can like uh, produce three or four books a year? I do. Yeah, I, me too. I despise them. <laughs> no, no. I want to see them burn. <laughs> on a pile of their books yeah. Nora Roberts I love is you first. out there <laughs> no like uh, I, I am jealous I don't actually hate them <laughs> it's funny to joke about though it is because like I have the same problem with you uh, or as you as, uh, uh, I, I'm a bit of a slower uh, writer than, than a lot of people I don't even know how like some of these people they have like Alex Laybourne he has five kids, and he posted a picture on his Facebook the other day with a caption saying, this is how I write every day. And he's got, like, two or three kids climbing on him while he's typing away at the uh, keyboard. I, I think I saw that picture. Yeah, I can't do that. No. I, I need to be and, in, uh, in a room that's kind of quiet. And I'm content with that. You know, personally, slow and steady wins the race and all that. Yeah. Yeah, well, we, yeah, definitely. Um... So uh, this week, we... Oh, actually, you know what? Speaking of good news, I actually want to mention this uh, before we get going. Um, I have some good news, too. Uh, my book, The Haunted Country, is now available in hardcover. Hardcover? Yeah, oh, hardcover. That's terrific. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. You, you can get it now, if you're, if you're interested, at lulu.com. Or you can wait, and uh, apparently it's going to be available in bookstores uh, within, I think, six weeks. So, so stay tuned. I will keep you all informed on that. All right. So, uh, this week we we had a really awesome show where I got to uh, I got to talk to Richard Thomas, and uh, we talked for a long time. <laughs> we talked for about an hour. So I'm going to keep this episode short and just stick with uh, with Richard Thomas. Uh, we did have a really great conversation. Uh, we didn't just talk about his books. Uh, we talked about a lot of writers in the dark fiction uh, slash horror field, writers who are a little more on the literary side than others. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we really clicked, and I really love it when that happens. <laughs> Richard seems like seems like a good guy. I've had some dealings with him, and you know I follow what he does and some articles that he writes and and his webpage, and uh, he's really a source of inspiration for me. I like to keep up with what he's doing. Yeah, he's an awesome guy. Um, I really enjoyed talking to him, and I like reading his stuff too. Uh, so before we get into any of that, we are going to uh, we're going to get into our sponsors. Let me tell you about them. First, we have Audible.com. Audible.com is a, a 
it's basically uh, an online bookstore for audiobooks. And uh, if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash darknessdwells, you can sign up for a free month membership. It's a free trial for that month, and what you get is one credit with that free trial, and that credit gets you a book. And if you like that, then you can uh, join or stay with the club, and you pay approximately $15 per month, and that $15 gets you one credit, which gets you an audiobook. Now, that's that's a really good deal, and I highly recommend it. And uh, I'm going to recommend... You can choose any book you want, but I'm going to recommend... The Drowning Girl by Caitlin R. Kiernan. It's narrated by Susie Jackson. Its length is 13 hours and 13 minutes. There's double 13s for you. <laughs> and it's unabridged. And here is the, uh, the synopsis. India Morgan Phelps, imp to her friends, is schizophrenic. Struggling with her perceptions of reality, imp must uncover the truth about her encounters with creatures out of myth. Or from something far, far stranger. I read this book uh, a couple of years ago when it first came out because I'm a big, uh, I'm a big Kiernan fan, and uh, I loved it. So I highly recommend this one. Have you read of any of uh, Kiernan's work? I haven't. I'm ashamed to say, but uh, the synopsis sounds really good on, on this one. I'm really interested in you know deeply flawed characters, um, you know, with you know mental illness. Um, not that I kind of came off as saying mental illness is a flaw but I don't want, want to <laughs> I want to exactly say that but you know what I mean uh, yeah, it's a, it is a flaw in a sense that they're not uh, you know if you were to write a story about somebody who's always you know good then uh, that's or an unflawed character which you know that's just yeah. boring like, having a flaw means you have a problem and that can be anything yeah. you know any kind of yeah uh, that's that that's perfect. I, I like I like characters that have the have these problems that that are close, you know, to a lot of my personal experiences. So. Yeah, and real. So that one sounds really good. It's more realistic. Yeah, and I I uh, I also recommend the Red Tree. That's a good one. Okay, so moving on, we have uh, we're also sponsored and we're proud to be sponsored by Crystal Lake Publishing. Now uh, these guys have been publishing since approximately 2012. And uh, they put, they like to put uh, integrity, honor, and respect at the forefront of their operations. They strive for each book and outreach program that's launched to not only entertain or touch and touch or comment on issues that affect their readers, but also to strengthen and support the dark fiction field and its authors. Uh, they like to, uh, or they have published uh, many uh, writers that, you know. I read, you read, like these guys. Uh, these guys are a really awesome publishing house, and and they they're doing some really exciting things. I can't wait to uh, to see what they're going to do next. And uh, an example of what you can uh, check out is Tales from the Lake. This is uh, an anthology series that uh, uh, that they've been doing. Uh, I think uh, Volume Two is coming out very soon. I'm not too sure of the release date, but I highly recommend you check out the first one. There is some really awesome stories in there. Check out Crystal Lake Publishing on its own. Go to their website, which is crystallakepub.com, 
and uh, you will find pretty much everything you need to know. Can't recommend them enough. We had a, a guest, a couple of guests, actually. Richard Thomas was a suggested guest by uh, uh, the people at Crystal Lake Publishing be- because he's he's got a book coming out with them. And uh, we also had Patrick uh, Rotigliano on recently. He was an awesome guest, too. They have a great great lineup over there at Crystal Lake. Oh, yes, definitely. They're, uh, they're doing some really wonderful things, and I, I was like, really shocked that you know that they wanted to sponsor us so that's uh uh that's uh that's a good one and thanks for helping with with landing that too well it's always my pleasure i like i like partnering up with the best people and uh crystal lake publishing certainly fits that bill yeah and last but certainly not least we are uh this episode is brought to you by mother of abominations a monster earth novel and that's by desmond reddick desmond reddick hosts the dread media podcast and you should check that out if you're not and uh here is the uh, synopsis for this book ripped from the pages of monster earth comes the first ever novel set in that world where giant monsters reign supreme brie kenny is about to blow up parliament <laughs> but she is shocked when her plan fails, and she is captured and given an offer she can't refuse. Her brother will be released from prison if she goes to Loch Ness to kill a man who should already be dead, a man who is over a hundred years old yet appears to be in the prime of his youth, a man named Alistair Crowley. Crowley is up to something big, and to pull it off, he needs Bree. He treats her er, and treats her like a goddess. Will Bree do what her government handlers want or comply with Crowley's wishes? Or does Bree have a more sinister purpose in mind? To survive the next few days, Bree must fit in with Crowley's throng of political dissidents, including jealous May, plotting Doucette, and young, naive Emma. With her government handlers watching her every move, Bree discovers the true power within her as she brings hell to downtown London and live up to her promise as Babylon, the Scarlet Woman, the Mother of Abominations. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, that's a good one. It's, it's a lot of fun, that novel. Um, and I highly recommend it. <coughs> All right. Oh, yeah, and stay tuned, because uh, I'm going to have Desmond on, on the show uh, real soon, hopefully. So... So I will keep you all updated on that. All right, so uh, with the sponsors out of the way, how about we get into the show? What do you think, Michael? Sounds perfect. All right, so we are going to do so, and we will do as we always do by starting with the news. So, uh, uh, first up, uh, I, I brought a little thing here. Um, this is from horrormovies.ca, and it is the first official photos from Edgar Allan Poe's The Lighthouse Keeper. Now, this is an interesting story on, on a couple different levels, because first off, um, from my understanding, Edgar Allan Poe's The Lighthouse Keeper um, wasn't a finished story. I, I believe, and it's kind of weird that they're adapting it for that reason, but they are, and, uh, you know, 
I can't obviously show you the pictures, but you can look it up online, and it looks freaking awesome. <laughs> and we should uh, post those. We should do that while we're talking. Yeah, we could do that. Yes. Um, you know what? I'll just post the link. And uh, but this, uh, I don't know. I just find it interesting because uh, because the story, like I said, wasn't exactly complete when he died, and. I think you can you can get this in his uh, you know the completed works of uh, or the complete works of Edgar Allan Poe. Have you read this one at all? Because I haven't. I haven't. Um, I'm not. I wasn't even familiar with the, with the title. Um, which is it? The Lighthouse Keeper that that he wrote, or just the Lighthouse? I feel like the title is just a little bit different of what he wrote. It could be uh, the Lighthouse. Yes. The movie but, could be uh, the but no, I haven't. Keeper. I haven't read this, and I've read a lot of Poe. Yeah, I've read a lot of Poe too. Um, I'm a big Poe fan, but uh, you know, even with that, I haven't read everything. So, but uh, but that that that's something to be interesting, or that will be interesting. Hopefully, it doesn't get stuck in like post production, where they're looking for a distributor and it takes forever for it to get to us. Because looking at these pictures, it's. Uh, it's pretty awesome. It looks pretty awesome. The picture that came up when I posted it on the uh, on the Darkness Dwells page is uh, is pretty creepy. <laughs> looks like a, a dude with like a burnt face. I mean, severely burnt face. You can't even see his mouth, but his eyes his eyes are almost empty sockets. And uh, he's in the dark, and he's leering at you through a doorway. It's just creepy. Sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, I want to keep my eye out for that. Hopefully, uh, we can see it soon. This next one, uh, I found interesting because we, I've been hearing a lot about uh, they're gonna make the stand into another movie, and my understanding was they were going to, I think, do what uh, they were gonna do with it and split it up into like two parts or something like that and now apparently uh the people who are doing that are pushing it back so that they can uh uh they can do another stephen king novel and that is for the revival Uh, you know i i i love stephen king i'm one of his biggest fans and uh i just get tired of all these adaptations i really do I mean, you, you start talking to, to Stephen King fans, and and sometimes all you talk about is the movies, you yeah. know. Um, I hate to be a detractor here, but I think it, it really gets distracting. You detractor, you. <laughs> I know. No, yeah. I, I know what you mean, though. Um, I, my stepdad uh, was like that, actually. He was like, I don't need to read the book. I'll just wait till the movie comes out. And... Uh, I'm like, well, you're kind of missing the point because, you know, reading the book, you get so much more out of it. But, uh, you know, I find it I find it interesting. To be honest with you, The Stand would make an awesome movie if done correctly, done with the right studio and what have you. But it's a very long book. <laughs> and to ad- adapt it properly, you would need a lot of hours. <laughs> or at least take a, an aspect of the story and just focus on that. So, and, that, uh, and that's the thing is that you know more and more people are, are appreciating the uh, 
I don't know, the depth of, of Stephen King's work and, and his world creation. So they turn into miniseries events, and yeah. they turn into these into these big things. Um, you know, I did watch the stand that um, the miniseries, and besides the fact that it's kind of old already and looks a little dated, I mean, they did a they did a really fair job. I thought. I mean, they were really true to the the whole spirit of the story. Yeah. You know, so so then you get into into what what we talk about all the time with remakes too that it's not just an adaptation of a Stephen King work but now it's a, a remake of an adaptation of a Stephen King work yeah so that's, that's sort of the point I was going into do you really need to make another The Stand why not if you're going to adapt something why not move on to something that's a little more fresh and the revival I haven't read it yet I own it but I haven't read it yet and uh I keep hearing how fucked up it is, and so it might make a really interesting movie. Yeah, you would like it. I, I can't. I can't tell you why, because I know that that we both like to be surprised and go into things not knowing much. Yeah. But but you will really like it. I'm gonna check it out soon. My re- to be read list is like so huge; it's terrible. Oh, I know mine too. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! All right, so uh, that's that's all I wanted to talk about with the movie news. Do you have anything? You know, I wanted to talk a little bit about Rob Zombie's new Thirty One. Okay. Um, and then I and then I I read that it's already been released as of the twenty third of January, but uh, I'll be damned if I can find it in any theaters anywhere close to me. I don't know, know if it's a limited release or what. You know why that but is? But I guess it's already out there. I, I fell for the same thing. Um, Rob Zombie actually posted on Facebook uh, a week or two ago. Well, on that day that you uh, you said it was released, he's like, "I'm finally able to release the beast," and he meant and he had a, like a picture for 31, right? And I was yeah. like, "Oh, it's out!" So I went looking at my theater, and it didn't have it. So I went yeah. online and I checked it out, and uh, it, it it is released, but it's only right now making the uh, it's making like the film festival circuit. I did that. That makes sense because I did really read that it premiered at Sundance. Yeah. And I think that's uh, that's like the first release. I don't know. It. I think it's supposed to get like a wide, uh, you know, a wide release in theaters. Yeah. But I hope it does anyway because I want to see it. <laughs> yeah, and in my little bird here, it uh, it might not it might not make it. It might not. Yeah, you're right. But I can drive a hundred miles. Don't <laughs> <So laughs> see it. <laughs> yeah, and that that would suck. But uh, but uh, but what I did want to say, I mean, I might as well go through with it, was that there was some some controversy because he couldn't get the R rating, and yeah. uh, he was he was stuck with an NC seventeen through through two rounds, mm-hmm. and uh, I you know when I read that, I I thought about William Friedkin's uh, his last movie, I think it was his last Killer Joe with Matthew McConaughey, and mm-hmm. that had an NC seventeen rating, and they kept it, and and. To quote, you know, their philosophy, they wore it as a badge of honor that oh, yeah. this is this is our NC seventeen movie. Come and come and see it, you know. But yeah. uh, I, I think that Zombie should have done that. And uh, I read him uh, say that an NC seventeen rating movie won't be released in local theaters. I didn't know that was true. I saw Killer Joe in a theater. Maybe that's the big chains, you know, like a Cinemark or whatever, won't touch them. Yeah, maybe. I don't know about that. But. To be honest with you, I think that that whole thing was just a marketing thing. 
I think, uh, in all honesty, I think it was probably a bit of bullshit going on there. Really? Yeah. Oh, you cynic, you. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I am cynical. But I, I, I honestly think that because uh, uh, for some of the reasons you mentioned there, and also, like, uh, even he, when he was uh, talking about this on Facebook, he said that almost every horror movie has to cut things out until they get that R rating. And so why are you making a big deal out of it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so there's a possibility that that did happen, but I don't see it being a problem or uh, or whatnot. I think they just uh, used it to, to, to help hype it up. Well, I do know that he's already said that the DVD release will... At the very least, there will be a DVD release of the director's cut that that would be the NC-17 version. Yeah. No big surprise there. But uh, but that's... So now that's what I'm looking forward to looking <laughs> at the theatrical release. Yeah, me too. But it I want I do want to see it on the big screen too, though. Yeah. And for that reason, you might see it in the theaters. But there is no official release date yet. So, But they do say 2000... Or, yeah, 2016. So uh, let us hope and pray. <laughs> yes. I know I'm going to love it. Yeah, me too. It's, you know, it, it's going to be one of those movies. You know what you're going into when you see it, and y- you also know that people are going to come out and of watching it, and they're going to bash zombie, and yeah. they're going to be like, "Oh, that sucked," and blah blah blah. It's like, yeah. well, why'd you go see it? Like, yeah. why do you go see all these Rob Zombie films and then bash it? <laughs> it's because you just want to bash it. That's, you know, what you're getting when you go see it. Yeah. It pisses me off. <laughs> Me too. I know exactly what you mean. It's it's like they need something to complain about. So it's like, well, let's go see this Rob Zombie movie so that I complain about how much I don't like Rob Zombie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's fine if it, if that's what you want. To yeah. do, but don't act like you're disappointed. Yeah, because you went in there looking for that. <laughs> All right, so uh, do you have any, any other news you'd like to discuss? No, that was it. I'm tapped out. Oh, right. So, okay, then moving on to uh, the uh, horror literature, new releases. And we are starting off, as usual, with Permuted Press. And uh, something weird happened with them uh, in the sense that I checked last week for their new releases and I couldn't find any. There was nothing. And there was nothing until, like, February the 9th. Either I missed it or I don't know, but there was a book that came out this this week, and it came out February the first of 2016, and it's called The Dark Sector, and it's uh, Walking on Mars, book number two, and it's by Briar Lee Mitchell. I like I said, I, I either missed it or they snuck it in there. <laughs> yeah, I thought I I heard some some of my friends from over there talk about some of their new releases. Oh yeah. But, uh, well, you know, sometimes that's that's projected a little head, so... Yeah, that's true. And, uh, well, sometimes there's, like, changes, too, in uh, publishing yeah. schedules. And you find that, actually, with movies a lot. There's a movie that's supposed to be out on the 16th. 16th comes and goes, and still no DVD. And you're like, what the fuck, man? It's supposed to be out. And then you... Uh, yeah, I know. Like my, like my problems with The Green Inferno. Like that, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then you go look it up, and it's like, oh, the the publishing or the release date has been pushed back. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Assholes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, uh, next up, we have uh, Samhain Publishing. 
and their horror, obviously, their horror uh, line. Now, as usual, each month they release all their month's releases at, on the same day. So uh, we have a bunch here, uh, or at least close to the same day. Uh, sometimes they're a little off. But uh, first up, we have the uh, Clockwork Chronicles, which is a uh, vampire extraordinaire, <laughs> and that's by Quinn, uh, sorry, Quinn Langston. Uh, there's also This House by Benjamin Kane Etheridge. We also have oh, Ghost Heart by John. Palisano, that one looks good, I love the cover for that one, and uh, we also have Little Secrets by Megan Hart, and last, but certainly not least, until next month, at least, <laughs> we have The Sound of Time by Jeremy Essex, and that is Samhain, there's nothing from Dark Fuse, um, one thing I wanted to mention is that February is uh, Women in Horror Month. That was one reason why I chose Caitlin R. Kiernan for the, uh, for the recommendation for Audible.com. Uh, but I wanted to direct... Uh, as usual, I did not plan anything for this. <laughs> I'm terrible. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to direct people to the website that, uh, that talks about this, and it's uh, obviously the Women in Horror doc or womaninhorrormonth.com and it's that ad exact address womaninhorrormonth.com and uh, you can uh, find out about events um, uh, you can get involved there's a store where they sell shirts and everything you can donate to the cause and you know I think uh, this is a very needed thing because because women in horror are often kind of pushed to the sideline for the male writers and I don't know why that is because they're just as good as men if not sometimes better what do you think you know I wonder if it's just that uh, horror attracts kind of a, a lot of young male readers um, maybe maybe my saying that perpetuates that whole stereotype anyway but it definitely is kind of a, a, a male centric you know that's thought of as a, as a male centric you know, industry, and I don't know why that is. I just don't know why that is. From the very beginning, we had Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. We've got Shirley Jackson, one of the best horror writers in all of history. So there's there's really no reason for yeah, it. That's true. And uh, like I said, they can be just as vicious and uh, gory, if that's your thing. It can be my thing, that's for sure. <laughs> as men so you know definitely uh, check out read more women horror writers because uh, they're just as awesome and speaking of uh, women horror writers uh, who's the publisher here uh, Newcon Press released a uh, an anthology called Obsidian a decade of horror stories by women and with this you have a lot of uh a lot of really fascinating uh, stories by uh, women such as Tannis Lee, Kelly Armstrong, uh, Sarah Penborough, uh, Liz Williams, Allison Littlewood, uh, more, uh, Maura McHugh, and uh, quite a few others. Now, this this uh, anthology is, you know, it comes out uh, very well timed for the February 
uh, Women in Horror Month, but it also uh, it also represents uh, uh, their tenth uh, Newcon Press's tenth anniversary, and to commemorate this, they uh, uh, a number of very special publications were planned, including this book. Uh, and it's basically uh, the first the first ten years. They're celebrating the first ten years, and so they're picking out the the best of uh, of those ten years by women horror writers that they've published. So so that's uh, that's exciting. I highly recommend you check that out. I second that. All right. So I think that's it. Unless there's uh, is there anything else? Do, do you know of any new books coming out or anything? Nothing that uh, is on my radar right now. All right, so so I guess that's it for the news and new releases. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I will be joined by Richard, and we will discuss many, many a noir thing. <laughs> Like Darkness Dwells? Well, why don't you help out the show? The easiest way to do so is to sign on to your iTunes account, rate and review the Darkness Dwells podcast, and we will forever, forever love you for it. And as always, thank you for listening. With unmatched success since 2012, Crystal Lake Publishing has quickly become one of the world's leading indie publishers of horror and thriller books with a mystery and suspense edge. With stories, interviews, and essays by the likes of Wes Craven, Neil Gaiman, Jack Ketchum, Ramsey Campbell, Kevin Lucia, Jasper Bark, Mercedes M. Yardley, Mark Allen Gunnels, and Clive Barker, you'll want to dive right in. Crystal Lake Publishing www.crystallakepub.com Welcome back. As promised, we have a big guest this week, and uh, uh, Richard Thomas is the award-winning author of many short stories, along with three novels. Um, he's also appeared in numerous anthologies and has a collection of short stories coming out soon. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, in communicating with you, I noticed that your uh, email has an AOL tag on it. I thought I thought they were dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of the few that still have one, yes. Um, it's one of those weird things where I started it a million years ago, and now I'm afraid to um, to, to kill it because it's connected to everything. Um, yeah. 
I do. I have Gmail accounts. I have. I mean, I, I think I have about seven different emails. I just. I still use that for some reason. I know it's very antiquated, and I should, I should probably just move on. But I have so much stored in there. It's kind of like my my Twitter account and stuff. Like I just change the name on anything. Everything's linked to everything, and I'm worried if I if I do, it's gonna. I don't know, break the internet or something. But <laughs> everything will fall apart. <laughs> it's funny. Every once in a while, I run into another author who has an AOL account. And they'll be like, oh, I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have an AOL, AOL account uh, quite a while ago. I forget the reason why I got rid of it, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, so I'm, as I'm, a, I'm a little older. I didn't really start seriously writing until I was 40, and I'm 48 now. And I can remember, I don't know if you remember this, but <laughs> dialing up, you know? Oh, yeah. Your and the, 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 how easy you have to pay for our email account? And yeah. A certain amount of months. And I, uh, I remember sitting in an old apartment in Wicker Park in Chicago and waiting for my, my Apple computer to dial up. And <laughs> It seems like a million years ago. <laughs> yeah, I remember those days, too. <laughs> the Internet was a wonderful thing then. Still is, yeah. but, yeah. man, it, has it evolved. <laughs> so, as I was saying before uh, we started talking here on the show, uh, one thing I like to do is get to know the writer a little. So uh, tell us, where did you grow up? I'm uh, I'm originally from St. Louis. Um, I grew up in Webster Grove, uh, a nice community, straight west of the city, about 20 minutes. Um, I'd say middle, middle upper class. Very nice. Uh, my my parents uh, they built a house next to my grandmother's house. My grandmother had about an acre and a half, and we had an acre and a half, and so we had a lot of room to hundred year old oak trees. Where, where are you? I'm in I'm in Chicago now. I forget what city you're in. I'm actually just north of Toronto in in Canada. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, so I, making a reference to Oak Park in Chicago probably doesn't do you any good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, and I don't know if you remember this when you were a kid what it was like, but I mean we would run around the neighborhood. You know, since I have to understand when I was a kid we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have home computers when I was a kid. I remember when Atari came out, and that was <laughs> the first big home gaming system. Um, cable didn't exist. I mean, we had, you know, God, barely even remote control. It was, you'd get up and turn the dial of the TV. Um, but we would run around the neighborhood, and we had a bell in the backyard uh, on a big post, and my mom would ring at the end of the day, and we'd come running. She had no idea where we were. We could be like 10 houses away. <laughs> <laughs> you could hear around the neighborhood that people would yell, Different people had different bells or different things. They, they, they just yell out somebody's name. One of our neighbors had a trampoline. You know, those things were so deadly. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have a pool. And you, you know, it's just a different world. You know, you, you knew everybody in the neighborhood, and you got to know them from trick-or-treating. And one of the houses, had a, they do an Easter egg hunt every year, and their whole backyard would be covered in little chocolate eggs. <laughs> that's yeah, that's cool. That's that's actually a lot like the town I live in and grew up in. Uh, it's very small, uh, a rural, and uh, you know you have those uh, little communities with like the backyards with the trampoline and uh, every odd house like might have a pool. And right. when I was a kid, if if somebody had a pool, they were rich. <laughs> right. <laughs> Webster Grove is an interesting community. I, I I think Jonathan Franzen went to our high school. That was the big the big writer who came out of our our area, and then uh, my, one of my classmates, my, my graduating class, David Peacock, um, wow. was the head of Anheuser-Busch for a while. I think, I think he's still over there. I don't know if he still runs it, but wow, what? I'm trying to work my way up the rankings at Webster Girls High School. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think you're uh, you're doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So, um, so were you a big reader as a child? Yeah, yeah, I've always been a big reader. Um, ever since grade school, you know, I love to read. I would, I had close relationships with all the libraries. You know, I'd go down there and I would, again, at a different time, I mean, I was reading. Young adult didn't really exist back then. It was kind of whatever, <clears throat> whatever you could find, right? I mean, you had kids' books and you had adult books. Exactly, okay. yeah. I worked my way through all the Nancy Drew Hardy Boy mysteries and, um, God, I remember I would read anything. I was reading, you know, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, you know, reading Judy Bloom books because I didn't know anything about girls and I was curious. Um, <laughs> I remember uh, I won a spelling bee in fifth grade and the big prize was you get to go down, got to go down to the principal's office and get a ice cold Coca-Cola in the glass bottle out of the machine. I don't just remember those. You open the door, you pull it out. You know? Yeah. I remember it. those. Yeah, I got to drink it in class. <laughs> um, and then I, sixth grade, I I won a, the title of most books read male. I didn't win the, te- the big crown though. Pepe Joe Petrachek beat me out, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> none of that. But no, I've I've loved I've loved to read since forever. I'd go to my grandmother's house and she'd always read her digest I just condensed books. They're like hardcover, big ones. And I would just read anything I could get my hands on. Um, yeah. That way, pretty much forever. Uh, grade school, junior high, high school, reading all the stuff that they kind of force you to read. Um, but I liked a lot of it. I mean, so many great books. And I was just talking to somebody who was uh, going to university in, I think, London, and, you know, reading Fahrenheit 451 and um, 1984. And yeah. Lord of. Lord of the Flies, and so, so many great books. I think, oh my God, this guy's read this for the first time. It's so cool because there's a lot of kind of dry, boring literature out there, but there's a lot of really great literature as well as far as literary fiction. Um, yeah, I, I was always a big fan of To Kill a Mockingbird too. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That actually influenced one of my one of my recent books. Um, yeah. Breaker. Uh, I started reading Stephen King when I was in high school. Um, <laughs> I read a lot of popular guys when I was younger. I was a lot more close-minded about what I read. I'd rather read book number 12 by Stephen King than read some other uh, unknown author. Um, so I read King and Grisham and a lot of popular writers. Um, I've been a lifelong fan of King. I've, I've read pretty much everything he's written. And that kind of got me to you know high school and then college. You know, you read a lot of... I started reading more experimental stuff, started reading more of the, the, the Beats and the Poets and, you know, and Ginsburg and Kerouac and, and Burroughs you know, and so many other, you know, uh, alternative voices that were out there. And just kind of... Yeah. College is a good time to expand your mind. And, and then it wasn't <laughs> much later that I started really, I think, uh, when I first started to take writing... Seriously, I started taking writing classes, um, you know, seeing Fight Club and reading Chuck Palahniuk for the first time opened the door to a lot of other voices, big name and, and lesser known. And then getting my MFA, uh, my low-res MFA a couple of years ago, was really the chance to kind of fill in the gaps in my own reading history for my undergrad studies. Because I was not an English major, I was an advertising um, major. I've been a graphic designer and art director for 20 years. Um, and so that allowed me to read a lot of people I hadn't read and it kind of filled in the gaps and expanded I read a lot of genre stuff, but then reading, you know, Cormac McCarthy and Joyce Carol Oates and Mary Gateskill and Haruki Murakami and, you know, uh, so, many, so many other people that, Toni Morrison, and um, so many people yeah. that have and it really kind of uh, expanded my mind and, and my experience and influenced me in other ways, too, so. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's quite the impressive uh, reading list. Um, uh, 
I remember reading the, uh, speaking of the beat generation, <laughs> I remember when me and my friends got into all that, uh, we read, like, On the Road by Jack Kerouac, and suddenly we were all going to hitchhike across America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's so cool, I mean, to see those different phases, not only, um, you know, writing and publishing, you know, from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and how it changed, but then to see how it affects you as a reader and a writer. Yeah. You know, I... And I and I read across genre. I write across genre too. So you know, I can remember discovering China Mitel for the first time and reading Perdido Street Station and how much that changed the way I looked at world building and technology because they aren't necessarily my strengths, but I learned how you could use it in different ways. Um, I read a lot of small press authors too, which is which is great. Cause I think there are some of the most uh, exciting stuff that's happening right now is, is in a lot of small press. There's some great stuff happening at the big six too. Don't get me wrong, but um, oh yeah. Yeah, I love uh, I love China's work. Um, uh, so, uh, is there a one writer that you would say made you want to become a writer yourself, or is it just like an accumulative thing? Um, you know, I think there's two authors that really affected me the most. Obviously, reading Stephen King for a long time. I think what people forget about him is that he, they call him a horror writer, but really, not everything he writes is horror. And yeah. I, I personally, you know, you love him or you hate him, I guess, but I think he's a great storyteller. A lot of, you know, The Stand is just this epic, sprawling, post-apocalyptic uh, story. Mm -hmm. You can look at Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile um, and, and Stand By Me. I mean, there's so many uh, books and stories of his. I mean, he, he's been in The New Yorker, and, you know, of course he's been in all the kind of the, the pulp genre magazines too, but I think he's a, he's a good example of a range of, of what you can write. Um, and so I, I think he, he got me really to have a passion for reading outside of, like, school. And then Chuck Palahniuk is, you know, I remember seeing Fight Club and then realizing there was a book based on it and going to, to find out his work, going to his website, chuckpalahniuk.net, which is called The Cult. I spent many years there hanging mm -hmm. out um, and reading through all of his early stuff. I, I just seen Fight Club, so I read everything else. I read Choke and... Survivor and Diary and Lullaby and Rant and everything, I, and I was like, oh my God, this is so different, so fresh, so uh, just really in your face, but then, you know, I mean, they call it for transgressive, I guess, you know, all these, all this taboo subject matter, and it just really brought me to a lot of other people who were doing work, you know, I mean, neo-noir stuff, Dennis Lehane, probably the biggest name, but other people, lesser-known authors, who are, some are blowing up, Stephen Graham Jones, and, and and Craig Clevenger and Wilkinson Bear, who all had a big influence on me. Chuck really woke me up, and I think gave me the idea that maybe there was a place in this world for me to write what I wanted to write. Yeah. Whereas Stephen King kind of gave me that passion to read and to, to tell good stories. So I think they're probably the two biggest influences on me. Not, not necessarily stylistically. You know, stylistically, uh -huh. I, I try and uh, I think I pick up as much from some of the literary authors, you know, Cormac McCarthy, I, I could never write like him, but to see what he was capable of, such a dense, horrific, lyrical writing, um, it's just so impressive, you know, how Mary Geisel handles, you know, sex and power um, and, and deviation and um, being a little bit different, you know, uh, Jeff Vandermeer's, you know, weird fiction, Annihilation, I mean, even really current books, and then a lot of the neo-noir authors, I mean, Wilkos Bear, uh, a relatively unknown author, Kiss Me Judas is such a, a dense, rich, lyrical uh, story that builds on the classic kind of mood and tone of, of, of noir and film noir and then adds into a new contemporary, you know, darkness. 
I think you see a lot of it more in film, maybe a better reference point, you know, whether it's David Lynch or David Fincher or Christopher Nolan. You can look at something like Mulholland Drive and say, well, what is that? Is it drama? It's not just drama. You know, it's, it's this contemporary, weird, transgressive, um, psychological, uh, intense experience. You know, and I try to do that with my writing. Yeah. And uh, you bring up, like, a lot of really awesome writers. <laughs> With every name, I'm like, wow, 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 yeah. Um, so when did you start writing seriously? I think you said uh, earlier in the uh, in our chat that uh, that you started around the age of 40. Is yeah. that right? You know, I've always written, at, you know, grade school and high school, and I wrote in college, and I, whenever I could take a writing class, I went to Bradley University in Peoria, Illinois, and I would... I, electives I could take. You know, I took writing classes. I took, you know, a class on fantasy science fiction where our final our final was basically watching Blade Runner and drinking beer. <laughs> <laughs> I got an A. <laughs> uh, that, that sounds like a good date. Yeah, what a great class, though. They're told me so many great things that I didn't know about yet. Um, it, I, I, the right, I looked at the writing I did back in college and it's so bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, so I think for a long time I got I got kind of caught up in the world of advertising, and for a long time I was more interested in you know chasing girls and drinking beer and having a good time. And I think, it, like I said, the scene Fight Club woke me up. And I, I took a class with um, Craig Clevenger. Um, he wrote, he's only written two books to date: The Contortionist Handbook and Dermaphoria. But he's, he's another neo-noir transgressive voice that really uh, influenced me. And I figured, well, I, I really love what he's doing. I mean, imagine if, you know, you're a guitarist and you could have a class with Eric Clapton or something. You know, yeah. To get, to get to share your work so intimately with, with somebody you really look up to. And I thought, yeah. well, class with Craig, this is when I was um, 40, and see if he thinks I have any ability. And if he thinks I, I have any talent at all, maybe I'll start writing again. And yeah. I class, it was a great class. I learned so much. And I was so excited and... Um, one of the first stories that turned into him, he said, reminded him of uh, one of his favorite authors, Steve Erickson. I don't know if you've read his stuff, but he's a pretty, pretty amazing author, um, straddling the fence between kind of this, between literary and, and, and the fantastic, um, some really amazing stuff. And I was pretty floored because I didn't see that at all, <laughs> and nor did I think I was really good enough. But that really kind of excited me. And at the end of the class, he said to me privately, you know, Richard, I think you know, there's this one story you wrote, Stillness. But I think it's really good. I think it's really special. I think you should polish it up, you know, and send it out. At that point, I'd never published anything. Mm-hmm. And I was really hesitant to send it out. I was scared, and I didn't know if it was any good, even though he was telling me this repeatedly. So I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll do my research. I'll send it out. And of course, I sent it to all the wrong places. I sent it to, like, the New Yorker, and the Paris Review. <laughs> I mean, not, not only were they nearly impossible to get into, but they weren't even the right market for what I was writing. Um, yeah. But eventually I figured that out, you know, 20 rejections later, and started sending it to the appropriate, you know, magazines, and um, I got a response from Cemetery Dance, um, who I'd been a long-time fan of. their publishing, um, collecting a lot of Stephen King books over the years, and they wanted to take it, but not for the magazine, but for an anthology called Shivers, which, mm-hmm. even though I had bought a lot of books from them, I, I didn't, didn't ring a bell. I'd never heard of it. They, they don't publish it every year. It's kind of ir- irregularly published. And I was a little disappointed because I, I hadn't heard of it. And I was like, oh, okay. But obviously, I'm like, well, <laughs> cemetery dance. You should be excited. You should be thrilled. A professional pay, my first big sale, I'd broken through. And I was like, yeah, of course I'm excited. So I'm waiting uh, to hear about the final table of contents. You know, three months, six months. You know, I'd already waited, you know, many months. And now it's going on a year from when I started submitting the story. And they finally announced it. 
Shivers Six, and in there alongside me is Stephen King and Peter Straub and a bunch of other authors. Yeah. So I can remember, and this is kind of a recurring theme, I, I think I started crying <laughs> sitting at the computer. <laughs> I, was, I was so shocked that uh, in my wildest dreams, I didn't think that these guys would be in here with me. Um, and it was just so cool. And uh, I just was just pretty in, in shock and, and amazed by it. And that was that was kind of when I felt like, well, maybe, you know, I, maybe I can write a little bit. Maybe I have a chance to put my work out there and people will, will like what I'm doing. And that got me excited and, you know, kind of went from there. Yeah, that's that that would be really exciting, having yeah. your name in, like, a brand-new anthology yeah. with, like, Stephen King. and <laughs> That would that would blow me away. I, I think I would poop my pants a little. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so <clears throat> speaking of, like, rubbing shoulders with really great writers, you, you have some blurbs from uh, from people like Irving Welsh and, and Laird Barron and Chuck Wendig. Like... I, this stuns me. How do you do this? <laughs> well, first of all, I consider myself to be, uh, you know, a little bit lucky in that these people were very generous to give me their time and their support. You know, especially for you know a relatively unknown author. Even though I've been writing eight years, I'm still kind of an emerging author. And um, I think part of it is being a, being involved in in different communities. You know, I was part of the Velvet, part of the cult. Um, I'm on social media. I'm in the Horror Writers Association. Um, and over time, I've been lucky enough to be in a number of different anthologies and publish in a number of magazines and websites. And then I'm also the editor-in-chief of a small press, and I've, you know, I've edited four anthologies where so many people, um, I publish their work. So yeah. I'm out there. I try and champion. And for a long time, even before that, I did book reviews at the Nervous Breakdown. For, for several years, and I, just as a place I wanted to support the authors that were really just exciting me and moving me. Um, and so over time, I made a lot of different connections. And, you know, I try very hard not to bug people, not to ask for a lot of favors. Um, asking for blurbs is, is so painful. <laughs> yeah. But, um, at the same time, I think if you come at it from a genuine point of view, you know, um, you know, Irving Welsh and Train Spotting um, and some of his work, you know, books and, and film is just such cool stuff, so unique, um, that it really did influence me and was work that really excited me. <clears throat> you know, Chuck Wendig is a guy who was out there blogging and, and, and posting up about how to succeed and all these things, a very prolific writer, and I learned so much from him over the years. Um, you know, Laird Barron, you know, is kind of in the, the center of this whole weird fiction movement, and I, I'm just a big fan. So, you know, I think when I write them an email or connect with them on their blog, or try and find them on social media, <clears throat> even if I've never met them before, or talked to them. Um, in a lot of cases, they already knew me, because I all they've seen for me so far was me supporting their work and other people. So it never hurts, you know, to I mean, be, to sincerely go out there and support these other voices, you know, not, not yeah. with an ultimate motive behind it, but just to be sincere about it. I don't know why you would do that anyway. Yeah, exactly. I Chuck, I... Um, he wrote the introduction for one of the anthologies I edited, and when I asked him for a blurb, you know, you never know. It helps that you're with, when I'm with Random House, even though it's an imprint, alibi, a smaller imprint, um, to have them behind me. But, you know, they reached out to a number of people. I said, here are the people I know, people I think would be a good fit for this book. Um, I think they would like it. And I said, you know, talk me up. <laughs> Help me out here. <laughs> yeah. Getting that blurb back from Wendig, you know, calling my book a, a twisted masterpiece was pretty shocking. Because um, I don't think anybody's ever called my work anything I've done a masterpiece, including myself, especially myself. So that was just so 
cool. I mean, I just was pretty floored by it. Um, you know, Laird Barrington, again, he wrote, he wrote the foreword, the introduction to the first anthology I, I edited, uh, The New Black, and he was such a perfect choice. It's one of those things that when I was putting together the anthology, I was going to ask him to put a story in there, and for some reason I didn't. Maybe because he was leaning more new weird whatever, but um, because he wrote the brilliant opening to that anthology, really discussing what Neil was. <laughs> the hybrid, the sweet spot between crime and horror, and he had such a, a brilliant understanding of what was going on that I, I, I was just blown away by what he contributed to that anthology. Yeah. Um, getting a blur from him means a lot because, you know, I never know, I, first of all, I never know if anybody reads my stuff and I never know if they like it, so when I take the time to do that and, and when they say such kind, generous things, um, when I get what I'm doing, you know, it means the world to me. Um, Irving is such a weird story because I've, I've known Chuck for a number of years, Chuck Polnick, because I've been at, over at the, um, his website and then being a workshop moderator and then helping to put together this, you know, co-editing Bart Tongue's anthology with him. You know, but I, I've been a fan of his work for a number of years and had met him at several readings. Um, but, but Irving was somebody I, 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 I knew him as a fan. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it was kind of a weird story. I tweeted out something on uh, on social media and Twitter about, you know, how you, as a writer, you should embrace the weirdness in your voice. You know, whatever's different and strange, whatever scares you about what you're doing, you know, do more of that because that's what makes you unique. That's what makes you special. That's your voice. Yeah. And I followed him, uh, and for some reason, he decided to follow me back, which I, you know, it doesn't always happen. And when I tweeted that out, he he, he saw it and retweeted it. And he's got I don't know, sixty thousand followers or something, some huge number, <laughs> two hundred thousand, and it keeps growing. Um, yeah. And, and that, you know, for a little guy like me, when he does that, it gives me a lot of attention. And I was like, oh, my God. So I just sent him a, a note on Twitter just saying thank you for, you know, for retweeting that. And we started talking a little bit. And I was like, he was just such a generous guy, as, as all these people are, so to take the time to help me and to just talk about things that we have, you know, common interests. And I knew, we just started sending out blurbs for disintegration, blurb, blurb requests. And I was like, oh, I want to ask him, but I, you know, I'm scared to ask him because I, I don't want to him to feel like I'm trying to capitalize on this great little conversation we've had here. So I thought, well, I guess the worst thing you can do is say no, you know, or hell no, or <laughs> block me or something. It's not going to touch me through the, you know, computer, hopefully. But, um, <laughs> so I just dropped him a note and said, hey, you know, my publisher, you know, is just trying to send out blurb requests. I have this book, Integration, you know, this kind of transgressive needle noir stuff. You know, I'm a big fan of your work, and I, I really think you would like it. I think, you know, I'm, I'm I've known Chuck following me for a number of years, I know you're friends with him, and, you know, we edited an anthology together, I'm just trying to show him all these commonalities, um, because I sincerely thought he might like it, and yeah. so would you be open to my publisher sending you a blurb request, you know, sending you the book, and he's like, yeah, sure, send it, like, oh my god, and then not only does he give us a blurb back, and, and pretty quickly, too, um, but he gave me an amazing blurb, you know, he, he called it a, a stunning and vital piece of work, Again, it's one of those moments where I'm just kind of shocked. I mean, being a writer is a weird thing. You have to be constant in what you're doing, so you have to have massive ego and sit down and think that what you're doing is the most brilliant thing ever to have the confidence to even do it. Yeah. If you're constantly failing and getting rejected <clears throat> and doubting what you're doing and you know, feeling like a hack because you don't against <laughs> yeah. the world here and you're trying to find your voice and find your way in. I mean, out stories have been rejected 20, 40, 60, 100 times before they found a good Yeah, that's true. So to get that back from him just meant a lot to me. And, um, 
again, not only was I shocked that he said yes, and that he gave me a blurb, but then the blurb was so amazing, it just kind of floored me. Um, it's, they've been such great people. Um, you know, some people you reach out, you never hear back. Some people you reach out, and they, they say no, and that's okay. All you can do is ask, but, you know, Chuck yeah. are just two, two examples, you know, Laird and, and, and Wendig, too, just are people who are willing to take the time and be generous and supportive. They both... Chuck and Irving have thrown their support behind this gamut project they have coming up to, and um, you know I try not to bug them, and I, I don't I try not to ask for favors. I always <laughs> offer to help them in return, but you know it's, it's examples of, of two people who are kind of paying it forward and helping out uh, other authors, and I, I think that's such a cool thing that they, that they do. Yeah, that is really cool. Uh, as a writer myself, uh, when when you finally get some feedback from your peers. Uh, and positive feedback. It's it's so reassuring because of all that uh, you know rejection and no's that you face, and uh, those little failures. You know what I mean. And uh, so it's it's so refreshing when somebody that you admire, uh, you know, tells you that what you're doing is good. It's just like oh thank God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So those so, are the kind of little moments you, you cling to when you're sitting alone in the dark trying to do something and you feel like you're failing. You, you have to kind of grab onto those. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and remember that you're, you don't totally suck. So it's, it's hard sometimes, but those are things that I couldn't see when I, when I lose faith in myself. Yeah. So your first book uh, is Transubstantiate, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, that, that is quite the title. Now, uh, <laughs> do you, uh, uh, you want to tell us about uh, what this book is about? Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's weird when I go back and look at Transubstantiate, um, because it, it seems like a million years ago, um, and it, I mean, it was like eight years ago, I guess, something, but, because uh, so much has happened since then. Um, but it, 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 it's kind of, you know, lost meets, um, the Truman Show. It's a, uh, seven, and I'll never do this again, <clears throat> seven different perspectives, seven point of views that rotate through quickly, um, seven different people who are kind of given a second chance in life to uh, to prove, you know, that they're not as bad as, as they think they are. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> there's some plot points on here. I don't want to spoil anything for you because there's some revelations along the way of what, what's really going on. Um, but it was, it was a really interesting mix of kind of crime and horror and fantasy and science fiction. And um, each of the characters kind of represents something different. Um and then you, you have one that character that's, that's a computer, uh, and one character who's kind of you know more than human, and um, it's it, it's a <laughs> it's kind of a fun wild ride, and uh, I, I think people either love it or they hate it because it it, it you know I, I thought about it when I wrote it, do I want to have these big long chapters? Because um, with seven characters, it's, it's a lot to ask people to to to, to digest, to hold on to, to remember. Um, yeah. I remember Stephen King was a fan, and you have a number of different characters and big chapters. So I figured the only way it would work was to get through them quickly. So, you know, I, was, I wrote this book essentially every day on my lunch hour <clears throat> when I was working as a freelance graphic designer. I would go downstairs and grab the sandwich, come back up and close the door, and just write away for an hour, whatever I could do, 700 words, 1,000 words. Mm-hmm. Um, each, each day of the week was a different character. So Monday would be Jacob, you know, Tuesday would be Marcy, Wednesday would be assigned, Thursday would be X. You know, Friday would be rolling and work my way through everybody, and then I wouldn't touch that 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 storyline again for a week. So it, wow. it was hard. It was, it was kind of I was kind of teasing myself, making myself wait. So if I wanted to get back to, to Jacob's story, I couldn't touch it for a week. So in the time that I, you know, I'd go home and lie in bed at night, I would try and chase his storyline 
into the future to see what was going on. And then at the same time, you have to remember where everybody else is, not only physically in the world, but what they know, who was talked to who. <laughs> yeah. So it's very but uh, I think it, I think it's having a unique, a unique a unique experience, and I think it's it's a lot of fun. And you know, I think if you read a number of different genres, it'll kind of hopefully fulfill a number of different uh, you know flavors or tastes as far as the story. Yeah, it seems like uh, quite the challenge. Was that the first novel you ever wrote? Yeah, yeah, it was. It probably wasn't the most uh, sensible thing for me to do, but uh, <laughs> <clears throat> I was taking a class uh, with Max Berry, and he had us write the opening the opening page chapter to uh, like four different genres, you know, four different novels we wanted to write. It was a novel writing class. So I wrote one that was horror, one that was crime, one that was fantasy, one that was, you know, literary or whatever. And I, and when I was done, I, I looked at it and I said, you know, these four people could be in the same story. They could be in the same world. And because they were so different, you know, one guy opening a shop, the front of a storefront, Jacob, and he's giving you hints that there's something going on and that uh, it kind of has this whole conspiracy thing. And then you put another opening that has... Um, uh, X, who's kind of this weird, dark, demigod kind of creature, and there's this violent scene of somebody being chased down these stairs. And, um, it's very much horror. And I, I kept thinking, God, if, you guys, if these guys had a relationship to each other, what would that look like? And that's mm-hmm. kind of like where I started. But probably not the smartest thing I've ever done. I, I probably will never do that again. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm but sure it was, it was a lot of fun, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was a lot of fun. I think and people who liked it seemed to really like it. I know that uh, Paul Tremblay was uh, somebody who kind of championed it when it came out, saying it was one of his favorite um, debut novels of the year when it came out, so that meant a lot to me. But, um, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, so I, yeah, after that, I think that I had some friends who said, Richard, we'd just like it if you could just write one character, <laughs> first person, <laughs> somewhat linear, you know, just, and that's kind of what I did when I wrote Disintegration. So, <laughs> so is that... Yeah, so it's when you got to uh, Disintegration and uh, and and Breaker, they they are part of the same series, the Win- yeah. uh, Windy City Dark Mystery series. Yeah. Is that is that how you came to that? Is by people saying just stick to one character, maybe. <laughs> I, I think as I kind of hopefully evolved after that by you know going to get my MFA and uh, reading a lot between Transubstantiate and the next book that um, I wanted to really do this character study and. I took a class with, with Jack Ketchum, and he talked about writing about the things that scare you the most. It's a, that's the best way to write horror. Make it very personal, right? Yeah. And that could be everything from, you know, spiders and sharks to the fear of being alone, you know, the fear of, you know, not mattering in the universe, whatever your fears are, you know, small or large. And my biggest fear was, uh, you know, losing my wife and kids, you know, seeing them die. Yeah. Um, that's kind of where disintegration starts. Um, and I'm not, don't worry, I'm not spoiling anything. That's right up front. Um <clears throat> But that was where I started, and you know, based upon the authors I've been reading, I, I started with with that with that straightforward story. And I wrote the first half um, in my MFA program, and then changed professors. And the second professor, who was a Pulitzer-nominated professor, didn't really like what I was doing. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I can remember. And you have to I'm, I'm in my MFA program. Transubstantiate's already out. I've already published in Shivers. I have some. some I won a contest at. at and yeah. uh, so I felt pretty confident that I knew what I was doing, but I wanted to learn more. And so the first day of my class with him, he asked the you know the, all the students in the uh, class in our workshop. He says, "After reading the first page, uh, raise your hand if you keep going." 
nobody raised their hand. Huh. And I'm like, I'm like, guys, what are you throwing me the bus? What are you doing to me here? And I'm like, I thought it was compelling. And he didn't raise his hand either. And after class, he said to me, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if this is thesis material, which basically to me meant that I, I don't think it's good enough. Yeah. So I went back to my other professor and practically in tears and didn't know whether I should leave the program or ask to be pushed out. And I had a choice to make there. I could either, you know, leave or, you know, try and change teachers or I could try and work with him on what he was best at, which was literary short fiction. And so I put that book on hold for about a year and a half and studied with him. And it was a good decision on my part because he's brilliant and uh, he taught me a lot. I read a lot of stuff I never would have read and that really influenced my writing, I think, for the better. Yeah. Um, to, to go through that uh, that type of thing, that negative experience, isn't necessarily a bad thing either. Um, uh, Mordecai Richler, he uh, is a big Canadian, or was a big Canadian author, and he used to teach around here at uh, Humber College. <laughs> and he, well, he, he taught uh, fiction, right? Writing fiction, and or creative writing fiction. Uh, fiction, and he hated doing it. He only did it so he could be near his kids, apparently. And and he was always really mean to his students. And when asked uh, on a panel uh, at the college once, uh, he was asked why he was so mean to his students. And, and he looked out at them, and he's like, you know, when I started writing, uh, we didn't have classes like these where, uh, where we pat each other's backs and uh, stroke each other's egos. I started writing in uh, in journalism, and and when you write in journalism, especially back in those days, they tear you apart every with everything you write. So, so he, his argument was that you know uh, through great uh, great struggle like that, that brings out great writing. Yeah. So. I get that. That's actually, I mean, that's kind of my personal philosophy. See, my, my website is whatdoesnotkillme.com, and it, it comes from, you know, the, uh, Nietzsche, what does not kill me makes me stronger, kind of the same thing. If you can survive it, you can learn something from it. Exactly, yes. So uh, the one thing I really uh, am interested in with uh, the Win- uh, sorry, Windy City Dark Mystery series is the, uh, is the protagonist, our broken, uh, our broken protagonist. He, he witnesses... As you said, his family. But you know what? That that's a huge fear of mine too. Like uh, seeing your family get killed, yeah. and uh, th- that would pretty much break me. I know it would. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, this, this Windy City Dark Mystery series is different. That the it's not the same character from book to book. That the um, the constant, the thread is basically Chicago and that whole kind of neo noir gritty urban atmosphere. So I wanted that kind of noir horror mix. Um, so that's, that's what is different about this one. Um, but with Disintegration, yeah, it was a very intense journey to sit in that space. And when I write, I don't write from a great distance. I, I usually write first person, not third. Mm-hmm. I really, I'm kind of like method writing, I guess you kind of put yourself really into the story. I want you to experience it as as we experience it. And I, and I don't plot either, which made transubstantiate very interesting, right? Um, <laughs> but with this integration, I just kind of chased it down, following him in his descent, you know, from falling apart, moving to the city, um, this guy's lad giving him an apartment and offering him a job, kind of running errands, and then how that kind of expands so that he quickly becomes something much darker, um, how he's kind of off the grid and no phone, no TV, no computer, 
no, nobody knows where he is. You never get his name throughout the entire book. There's no mirrors in his apartment. He's just really lost himself entirely in, the, in becoming kind of this hand of, you know, of vengeance of his whole job, his whole point in life. The only reason he gets out of bed and has himself is that in a world that has become chaotic where there's no rhyme or reason, he's you know, lost his faith in God and everything that the only thing he can do is try and kill, remove people that are that are the worst parts of society. So it's kind of, you know, Dexter meets falling down a little bit here. And in that, yeah. he finds some, some a tiny bit of uh, reason, uh, uh, reason to live, uh, a bit of redemption. Um, it's him and his cat. And, and that's, <laughs> his cat, it, that was my way of kind of immortalizing when my cat he passed away, Luscious. Um, uh, it's, he's, he's, it's hopefully a complex character study in that I want you to sympathize and empathize at the same time he's kind of committing these horrible acts. So it's that back and forth of, you know, what would, what would you do if this happened to you? And, you know, at what point would you kind of give up? And, and how do you become this, this person? And um, I remember when I finished that book uh, in a crazy week between school and my kids home for the summer, I wrote, I think, 40,000 words in five days in my my arms were sore, my fingers were bruised, checked out eight, ten thousand words a day, and I put it aside for so long that when I sat down to get back to it, it just kind of flowed out of me. Um, I remember when I finished, and I just kind of sat down, and I knew I knew when it was done. Um, I just kind of broke down and started crying, and uh, thought I might throw up, you know, I was just, I, it was so powerful, I've been with him for so long, that going through this journey with him, Yeah. I had really kind of become him, and so where he suffered, I suffered. Um, and it was just a really a dark descent, but not without hope. Not without hope. There was a bit of you know light at the end of the tunnel, and in this case, it wasn't a train. It was you know something a little more positive. Um, not a, it's still a dark ride, um, mm-hmm. but you know, in working with my editors at Random House, they kind of helped me to you know I cut out a whole scene uh, that was going to be a rape scene, and then became less than a rape scene, and then became something entirely different instead of him hitting bottom. Because um, I wasn't sure what that line was when I was writing. Yeah. I said, well, if I write this scene, it's going to define the book, and people are going to what they're going to talk about, and it's going to alienate some readers. Um, but I wasn't sure. I, I just had to write what felt true, what felt honest, and I was glad to see that his line, he drew a line in the sand at some point, too, that he wasn't willing to rape this girl in an alley, even though she'd robbed him and tasered him and, you know, abused him, that he wasn't willing to go there. And then yeah. I, that scene totally changed, uh, thanks to my editor, Dana Isaacson at Random House, um, he felt that that should be his first step back up towards the light, which then caused us to change the ending, which I'd written like three or four times already. Um, and then that made better sense, and it made it changed, I think, the whole experience. So that when you you can go down and down and down, but then it, it had a little bit of uptick at the end, a little bit of hope. I mean, you can write tragic stuff. I mean, look at Requiem for a Dream. You know, it's down, 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 down. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Romeo and Juliet is, is a double suicide, you know. It's <laughs> yeah. work out there, but I think it makes the experience uh, more enjoyable um, because you come out of it, you know, you survive it, right? And you, and you learn something, and there's something to be gained from this experience. It's not pointless. But then you also, you know, if there's, if there's hope in the world for a place, uh, a person like him, you know, maybe there's hope in the world for a person like you, too, you know, no matter what you, you're going no matter what. Yeah, because then it, it can always be worse. <laughs> so, so Breaker, uh, that came out recently on January uh, the 9th, was it? Yeah, I think the 5th, a couple weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, the 5th, yeah. Um, so, 
this is a different story then from uh uh so so can you tell us a bit about that sure sure yeah um in working with my agent and with with, with uh Randall, with alibi um we wanted to continue obviously we did we signed a two book deal but i want obviously not the same protagonist um what's kind of cool is that at the end of disintegration um the unnamed protagonist ends in logan square a neighborhood up the street from wicker park where it was set and the mm-hmm. beginning of breaker <clears throat> starts in logan square there's actually a little bit of an easter egg buried in there where they, they cross paths briefly and mm-hmm. it's really the only time in the book that the main character of breaker ray the only time he's really scared for himself is when he passes this guy um it's kind of a cool little moment you can look for but um it's a whole different story i wanted to uh you know neo-noir is, it means new black contemporary dark fiction and it takes on much like transgressive fiction takes on a lot of taboo subject matter and i wanted mm-hmm. to write something that was meaningful and powerful to me and so i wanted to write something about abuse because um, I see so many people suffering and depression and going through it. And uh, Breaker refers to two things. He's a fighter. He fights in these kind of uh, <clears throat> these underground boxing matches, these fight clubs. Because um, he's a big guy, big, pale, doughy guy, kind of scary. Um, that's how he survives. That's how he makes a living. But he's also trying to break the cycle of abuse. That as a mm-hmm. child, he's abused in different ways um, by his parents and even his uh, sister. And it's, I wanted to see what it was like. Like, when you see all these monsters, you know, when you see Hannibal and you see all these characters, how do they become this? I always wondered. You know, how do you make a monster, really? Um, yeah. And I, I, a lot of times it comes out of some sort of abuse. And so I, it did two things for me. I got to explore the idea of how somebody becomes this and also to take on the subject of abuse. And can you break a cycle of abuse, you know, which you can, of course. Um, mm-hmm. so that's, what we, that's what we explored with it. And it, it was very tough and tough stuff in there. Um, and a lot of the scenes had to be really, really handled delicately. Um, but I didn't want it, again, I didn't want it to be so, you know, graphic or, or violent or sexual in a way that it turned off a lot of readers. So I had to be careful what I showed and what I didn't show. But really it's more about um, Ray and then this girl next door, Natalie, um, that he's, tra- he's worried about her and wants to protect her from the neighborhood and from life in general. There's a guy who's been crawling the streets of Chicago in a white van, you know, abducting girls and raping and murdering them. And he's worried about her. And she is not afraid of him. She sees him as this innocent boy that he used to be. And she, you know, no matter, everybody else kind of shies away from him. But she's not afraid of him. And so I I did an interesting thing that I had never done before where I wrote um, four-fifths of it every, uh, as Ray's point of view, first person. Mm -hmm. And then every every fifth chapter switches to third person. And I get kind of an omniscient God camera point of view looking into Natalie's life. Um, mm-hmm. I, want, I wanted her to be an important part of this and not just be seen through his eyes. But I, yeah. didn't want to do a, I didn't want to do a split narrative, a dual narrative, because I didn't want to give her that much power. And I was worried that she would take away from the focus on Ray and that people would be too much into uh, her story. I wanted it to be Ray's story. Um, yeah. And so that was an interesting thing I'd never done before. I'd heard of it done before and seen it done before, <clears throat> but I'd never done it. And so I asked my agent and, and my editor at Alibi, um, what do you think about this? Should I go for it? Have you ever seen this done before? And they said, well, if it, if it works, it works. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, if it doesn't, then we'll change it and we'll cut it. And so I think it was nice that gave me kind of the, the leeway there, the freedom to kind of hang myself or um, to do something kind of cool. And so um, it, it, I guess in the end it worked out and they both liked it a lot. And I, it was a really cool way to kind of get her side of the story 
Um, and, and it also kind of served as a moment of kind of a little bit of a reprieve. Uh, it kind of come up for air a little bit. That you don't have to sit in his chaotic mindset the entire time. Even though she is going through some stuff, too. Yeah. That her, her time is a little more quiet, a little more thoughtful, a little more peaceful. So you get kind of a chance to catch your breath before you get back into his story. Yeah. Now, one thing I really like about you as a writer is that you come up with these really fantastic ideas. And now I'm going to I'm going to ask you a question that most writers hate, but I I think it's important because uh because every writer is on a different journey and how they come to their stories is is completely different from the other. So so how do you approach uh, uh, ideas? How do you get your ideas for your novels? Like it, like Especially like these uh, Windy City stories. Well, we we discussed uh, we discussed disintegration, but how did you come up with a story for this? Uh, it's a great question. It's a great question. Um, I have a column over at Lit Reactor um, where I also teach. Um, I wrote a column about where you get your ideas, but um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's complicated, right? It's, it's I, I think it's very personal. I think when I was a younger writer, I, I, I didn't think about it as much. I think I just wrote whatever the hell I wanted to. And yeah. Could be something I just read. I, I think for me, it's a combination of a couple things. I think it's a combination of my influences. What you know, what I'm into at that moment in time is you know is exciting me. Um, I've seen a lot of different movies recently that have really kind of gotten me excited. Um, there's a film studio called A24. They've done some really cool stuff. Under the Skin, um, Ex Machina, Enemy, a bunch of there's a really cool one next coming out soon. I keep saying next year, but we're we're in next year. Um, coming out <laughs> February called The Witch. Um, and the other yes. thing, it follows in spring. I'm not, it's funny because I'm not a big horror fan. I mean, I don't watch a lot of horror movies because it can't just be about the violence. And yeah. Being compelling about it. You know, so I love, you know, Silence of the Lambs. Um, I love Saw because it was a, a unique twist on something that hadn't been done before. But then, you know, I don't want to see five movies like that. Yeah. Um, I like more of a psychological thriller. You know, talking about some of the directors I mentioned, you know, Mulholland Drive and Memento and Inception and all these kind of dark, strange, weird movies that kind of play with your perception and reality and truth. Um, yes, exactly. So I think partly it's whatever I'm being influenced by at any given moment, and I think part of it is also, especially more on these days, being more thoughtful about what I do, uh, thinking about what I want to write, you know, knowing that I want to take on, it could be something I want to write, um, a story I've never written before. I wrote a story last summer for a Lovecraftian-themed anthology called Shadows Over Main Street. And I'd never written the story that kind of was Lovecraftian in nature. I had to look him up and read more about, you know, what his philosophies were and, and study him more and read more of his work. And um, I tried to do that for a previous anthology until they failed and couldn't make it happen. Um, mm -hmm. But something clicked along the way, and I was able to turn something in. I'm, it was also set in the 50s, and I, I couldn't in that language and setting down was so tricky. Um, I remember reading Joyce Carol Oates, Where Are You Going, Where Have You Been? Because it's such a great uh, place and time and the language they use. I kept studying writers and stories from that, that era um, and somehow managed to, to find a story. And, and that was cool because I was challenging myself to do something that I wasn't comfortable with and wasn't, you know, didn't know how to do at the time. So, yeah. I think, you know, whether it's a short story, sometimes and that kind of laugh, I guess, thing is kind of... Uh, what I, what's going on, you know, if there's a, a theme or a deadline or something, whether I've been invited in or open, if there's, a, if there's an anthology on, you know, I'm in an anthology next year called Beautiful Horror Stories, and the idea of beauty and horror 
And that's a process fascinating because every writer's different a different person and so the way they approach writing a story is always different and that's one reason why I like asking that question um, but you you do have you have one more book coming out uh, very soon uh, you you got a hold of a uh, Crystal Lake publishing yeah. and and they're publishing a collection of your short stories called tribulations right so uh, when when is that coming out um, I think we've got this slated for March or so. It's, it's a little tricky because we're paired up with a different press that I can't name yet. Um, they're doing the ebook part, but uh, it's very exciting, all of it. Um, Joe's great. Uh, I've known Crystal Lake. I've published some stories with them in some different anthologies, um, and I, I love working with them. This is my third short story collection. Um, it's basically taking my most recent work and then the work that I'll work that I think is my, hopefully my best work um, for the last couple of years. And stories that deal with, you know, a lot of what I write about has, has, is inherently tragic, so dealing with the trials and tribulations of what they're going through, kind of tapping into what we were talking about earlier about, 
you know, survival and, you know, coming out the other side most of the time and, you know, what we learn from going through these um, different kind of journeys and, and uh, tragic situations and then what the characters learn, how they change and find hope, you know, through, the, through those experiences. Um, so they're, they're dark stories, but they kind of run the gamut, you know, from, you know, fantasy, science fiction, horror to, you know, something gothic and crime to, um, you know, some more literary stories. Um, I definitely, there are definitely people ask about this collection, you know, well, how, how do you decide what to put in, and do you just kind of throw in whatever? Um, no, it's definitely some stories I've written recently that, that are not in there because they didn't fit. Um, yeah. Coming out of my MFA program, uh, you know, of those, all, basically all of them were totally different, you know, very literary, um, not, wouldn't fit in this collection at all. Uh, one mm-hmm. story I did put in from my MFA is the only one that kind of leaned towards neo-noir, and that was one that just came out in Cemetery Dance Magazine, finally got in last year, um, uh, called Chasing Ghosts, that was uh, a little bit kind of psychological, paranoid, conspiracy thriller story about, about a couple, and kind of the truth and lies of what's going on in their life, paranoia about her, her cheating on him, and you know, the idea, this is, you talk about you know, where you get your ideas, the idea that perception makes re- reality, that by his believing she's having an affair because she cheated on him before, um, mm-hmm. that you're making it come true. So even if she isn't doing anything because you are constantly accusing her and paranoid and looking for things and spending all your time dealing with it, you're kind of making it happen anyway, whether it did or not, to the point yeah. that you might destroy your relationship. That's what I that's call it. Chasing that's that he's, you know, chasing something that may or may not exist. Yeah, and, and he's creating his own self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, exactly. I think that's one of the stories that's in there, yeah. Um, but, it, yeah, it's a fun collection. I, you know, I, people ask, you know, how you put them together, what, how do you order it, what do you, you know. I I try to put it together in a way that it's in, uh, you know, it's like riding a roller coaster or going to, like, a 20-course tasting menu at a restaurant or something <laughs> where uh, I want to start off with one of the best stories and then end with one of the best stories and then along the way kind of put in these tent poles, what I consider the strongest work. And then mix it up by, you know, the darkest followed by something lighter, longer and shorter, um, different themes, different, you know, genres, so that, you know, it's, um, so it's, it's, you know, it's an exciting experience for you. You know, whether you sit down and read it in one day or a week that, you know, that as you go from one story to the next, even though they aren't connected, you know, by story or character necessarily, that is um, an experience that you enjoy, you know, much like, kind of like the movement of, a, of an orchestra as you, you know, it kind of ebbs and flows in the light and the dark. Yeah, that sounds uh, really exciting. I uh, can't wait to uh, get my hands on it. <laughs> so, um, uh, tell tell me, are you working on anything now? Anything that you can uh, tell us about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I run a small, I'm the editor-in-chief of Small Press, Dark House Press, and so yes. we have stuff coming out. We have a new book uh, by Damien Angelica Walters coming out uh, February 29th on that weekday day, uh, which only happens every once in a while four years, um, called Paper Tigers, kind of this uh, haunted house ghost story, it's very cool. Um, and then our other book later this year is Scratch by Steve Kimmer, kind of this rural rural legend, urban legend story, a very cool book. Um, Breaker just came out, Tribulation is coming out next. I have a novel in novellas coming out with the Zank books called The Soul Standard, it's kind of this Sin City thing, it's four connected, four interlinked novellas that I, I wrote one of uh, the novellas with my friends uh, Axel Tiari, uh, Caleb Ross, and Nick Corfan. Um, kind of, you know, it's four novellas 
uh, set in four different parts of the city over four seasons, and how they're, there's a little bit of overlap in there, but they're, they each stand on their own, too. So that's pretty cool. And then kind of what's picking up the most of my life right now is I'm launching this Kickstarter for an online magazine called Gamut, which just means a wide range. Um, that's starting February 1st, and we're trying to raise you know $50,000 to get this online magazine started publishing basically the kind of work that I've been talking about all, all the past hour. Um, this kind of neo-noir speculative fiction with a literary bent, dark, strange, weird, contemporary fiction. Um, we've got a good 40 authors who've already committed to being a part of it so we can make this happen. Um, and, you know, we've got a bunch of great artists involved. I've got an excellent staff set up, and um, we just, we're getting endorsements from some pretty cool people and, and getting ready to launch that in a couple of weeks. So that's kind of what's first and foremost right now. That's excellent. Um, is there an address that uh, re- our listeners can go to and uh, support? Um, because the Kickstarter is not live yet, <clears throat> or I'm not sure when this will run, but maybe it will be then. You can buy, just go to Kickstarter and look for Gamut, or you can go to my blog, whatdoesnotkillme.com. I've got a post up there uh, that kind of explains a little bit more about this, um, who's involved, and you know, talk about it a little bit more. Um, it's, uh, are you familiar with Kickstarter at all? Yes, yes. Actually, I've supported some things myself. I mean, it's essentially a, 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 it's a pretty cool thing. It's a place where you can go and support creative endeavors. So, you know, whether somebody making a post-apocalyptic, you know, coffee mug or <laughs> trying to put together an anthology or, you know, make, make a movie, it's a way for people who, you know, can't go to a bank and take out a, a $50,000 loan to get funding from the public. And you get something in return. You're paying for a reward a, for something. For some people, it's a product, a tangible, you know, here's a, here's a T-shirt, here's a mug, here's a, the book. Um, for us, it's going to be a subscription to the online magazine um, yeah. launch on January 1st, 2017, um, for 30 bucks a year. And that's, you know, it's only $2.50 a month. And we're going to publish new fiction every week. And depending on how much funding we get, you know, we, we want to put up original content every day if we reach the stretch goal. But we're going to do fiction, new and reprint. We're going to do nonfiction. We've got columnists lined up. We've got some really amazing artists involved. Um, we might serialize a novel, uh, a, a book called a Stripped, a memoir from one of the authors in my MFA program, who's Jacqueline Dre Marceau, who's just amazing. It's a really great mm-hmm. story. Um, a lot of authors, if, you're not, if you read horror and you read, fantasy and science fiction, speculative fiction, you'll probably recognize a lot of people. Some of the people we talked about, you know, Laird Barron and um, uh, Stephen Graham Jones and Brian Evanson and Benjamin Percy, Olivia Llewellyn and Lucy Snyder, Snyder and uh, Helen Marshall, both just won big awards for their collection. So it's, it's a yeah. wide range of people, a uh, wide range of voices, but kind of tapping that contemporary, dark, um, edgy fiction. And it's quite the stellar list, too. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And one of the cool things that I wanted to mention before I forget is that the normal subscription rate, if we make this happen, is going to be 60 bucks a year, which is 5 bucks a month. Um, but if you get involved with the Kickstarter now for 30 bucks, that rate will stay the same indefinitely, forever. So not only cool. will you renew at the same rate, but it'll never go up. And then well, I'm never going to offer it at this price again. So it's a way of me <laughs> people for being early adopters and for, you know, kind of jumping on the bandwagon with me and, yeah, I'm hoping to tap into people who, you know, the four anthologies have edited The New Black, Exigencies, Burnt Tongues with Chuck Palahniuk, and um, the lineup, 20 Provocative Women Writers. If you like those, then you would probably like what we're doing. If you like my writing, if you like the books I published at Dark House Press, you know, one of our books, Jim Graham Jones' collection, after 
people like to start off with a Bram Stoker finalist and a nomination for the Shirley Jackson Award. So um, I think I, I want to be part of the landscape of what's going on out there. So many great publications, you know, online, you know, Tor or Nightmare or Clark's World or The Dark or whoever, um, and print magazines, you know, Cemetery Dance and Shock Totem, uh, Black Static, so many cool places out there. And I, I want to be a part of that, and I want to help. We're also, uh, one more thing I should probably say is we're going to pay 10 cents a word original fiction, which is double the current professional standard rate for... Yeah, that's a, that's a really good price. So that's why I mean, people ask, oh my god, $50,000 is a lot of money. It is, because we want to we pay our authors, and we want to pay our artists, and we want to pay our staff, and, you know, yeah. and we got to pay for our website, and licensing, and all these things, and, you know, it's, it's a lot to do, but I think if people want this to happen, if they want there to be a market in a place like this to exist in the world, then they'll make it happen, and they'll still talk about it. You know, I think that'd be a great place, not just for readers... For also for writers, you know, a lot of times our readers are, are writers, <laughs> but yeah. not only a cool place to go and read great fiction, but a place that, you know, you can submit to. I've, I've got some uh, a good 40 people I've already solicited work for, but I, I left enough room that we'll open up the submissions later this year if we can make this thing happen, because um, I want new fiction and I want unknown authors <coughs> and I want anybody who's not already a part of it to, to be a part of it, too. Yeah, well, that that sounds really awesome, and I know that I'm going to be uh, supporting it because uh, I I love every writer <laughs> you mentioned on there, and and so I I can't wait to be honest. That gets me excited because honestly, I didn't know about that. So, uh, so thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, my pleasure. I'm, I'm excited about it too. You know, it's, as much as I enjoy writing, I mean, it's definitely one of the most fulfilling things I, I do uh, that I've done. It's, you know, changing this kind of direction in my life. Um, trying to get out of advertising and getting into writing. Um, I, I think what I enjoy just as much, if not more, is publishing other authors, is giving them the attention they deserve and helping them, you know, to have a career as a writer. It, I mean, publishing at Dark House Press and editing the anthology is such a thrill for me because there's so much great writing out there. And introducing uh, readers to people they haven't heard of before. You know, one little quick example is a woman named Letitia Trent who has a story, the first story in, in Exigencies. And when, when she sent me, when I... She sent me a story, and I loved it. I thought I wanted to take it. And she's like, oh, well, thank God, because I've been shopping this. It's been rejected by everybody, and nobody wants my story. And she's like, but I really like it. And I'm like, it's, it's a brilliant story. I said, I love it. I said, those editors are idiots. I said, they don't know what they're missing. They're, they're, they're not getting it. And what's kind of cool is that, you know, behind the scenes, I can't really talk about too much. That story has gotten some recognition from some editors, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to get, get some, some attention out there, you know, whether it's, a, you know, I don't know if it's going to make it into any of the best, you know, best of the year anthologies, but I know several big editors have reached out to me about that story, and that's that's really cool because it's like to see the, the people who are kind of the case makers, the, the gatekeepers, uh, people who've been doing this a long time, to, to see her getting that kind of recognition for the story it makes me very happy because I feel like I was able to recognize in that story something really excellent, and that she obviously believed in it, and to get it out there um, to the world, I think is is, is so cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, I'm going to wrap things up. Uh, we've gone way over time, but that's cool. Right. <laughs> no, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Uh, uh, you're a fantastic writer and uh, a fantastic person to talk to as well. Um, so where can readers find you uh, if you want to reiterate your uh, website and uh, any other social media? Sure. Um, thanks, Jake. It's been a real pleasure for me, too. You asked some really great questions. Um, I can tell you're obviously passionate about this stuff, too. Um, oh, yeah. I, my blog um, 
is whatdoesnotkillme.com. And through that, you can find, you know, my Twitter and Facebook, and you can find the Gamut Project. Um, when that goes live on the 1st, you can just go to Kickstarter and look for Gamut, and you'll find it there. Um, I'm on Amazon, you know, so I, you can find me there, too, and Goodreads and all those places. So um, I'm everywhere. Uh, it shouldn't be too hard to find Dark House Press, you know. I think our website is thedarkhousepress.com. I had to add that V in there because you couldn't get the URL. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm everywhere trying to, you know, trying to make all these things happen. Um, so it shouldn't be too hard to find. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show, and I hope that we can uh, we can have you on again sometime. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. Anytime. It's my pleasure. All right. Thank you. All right. Take care. In a world where nations have developed giant monsters instead of nuclear weapons, Bree Kenny is about to blow up the British Parliament. But she is shocked when her plan fails, and she is captured and given an offer she can't refuse. Her brother will be released from prison if she goes to Loch Ness to kill a man who should already be dead. A man who is over a hundred years old, yet appears to be in the prime of his youth. A man named Alistair Crowley. But all is not as it first seems at Loch Ness. An ancient power is rising from the depths, and an entire cast of character wants to get control of it. Will Bree work for the crown or against it? With her government handlers watching her every move, Bree discovers the true power within her as she brings hell to downtown London and live up to her promise as Babylon, the Scarlet Woman, the Mother of Abominations. Mixing military intrigue, keiju action, and occult ritual, Mother of Abominations is the debut novel of Desmond Reddick, and the first novel in the Monster Earth series from Mechanoid Press, Keiju Pulp at its best, Available in ebook format on Amazon.com. All right, so that was uh, that was a pretty exciting uh, venture down uh, down into uh, Richard Thomas's uh, <clears throat> all his projects that are going on. Always, always, always interesting to touch base with him. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I said before that I I don't remember where I stumbled across him. But uh, I submitted a short story to one of the anthologies that, that he was editing, and uh, he's got some some uh, a, a web page where it lists everything that he's submitted and where to in some of his favorite magazines. And I use it as a touchstone, you know, when I when I want to find something good to read or or whatever. So, uh, really fascinating character. Yeah, I highly recommend too that people go. I mean, I went and I did it just the other day. Um, and I backed the project that he's currently working on. It's uh, the uh, the Gamut magazine that that we talked about when when I was talking about or talking with Richard. It is now up and running. Uh, when we were talking, it wasn't. And uh, I loved it. like he brought it up, and I had no idea. Like at first, I was like, "Oh no, I didn't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't research enough." But you know, at the time, it wasn't uh, it wasn't exactly um, you know. It was kind of under wraps, I guess you could say, hush hush kind of thing. Uh, well, not hush hush, but it wasn't 
you know, news yet, but now it is. So I urge everyone to go to Kickstarter, and uh, you can look up either Gamut Magazine, that's G-A-M-U-T, uh, or you can look up Richard Thomas, and you will find uh, the said uh, Kickstarter project, and I highly recommend you back it. I mean, it's it's a really good deal, like he said on the show. Um, you If you go for the $30 one, uh, you get uh, a subscription to the magazine, and uh, the the price of that subscription is going to be approximately sixty dollars a year. And but if you sign up for that, so long as you keep uh, renewing your subscription, it's going to remain at thirty dollars. So it's sort of a locked in fee, and that that's a really good deal right there. Especially with the uh, with the canon of authors that he's planning on on uh, publishing and I, I took a look myself and I don't know if, if you posted a link to it or if, if that was somebody somebody else but I it did, looks yeah. terrific it looks really great yeah I, I, I posted it when I uh, when I backed it I, I went for the $30 one and uh, right now uh, with this being only like four or five days old they're at $10,000 so uh, that's really cool and I'm looking very forward. nice I'm really looking forward to what they're going to do with that because uh, there's some stellar authors on that. So, uh, so thanks everyone for listening. Um, it was a great time as, as always, and uh, until until I come back with my new movie pick, stay dark, my friend. Stay dark. Oh wait, before we do any nope. of that, uh, we got oh, no. we're gonna we're gonna tell people where they can reach us. <gasps> yes, don't don't stay dark yet. Don't turn out the lights, not yet. <laughs> no, no, not yet. Uh, yeah, so if you want to get a hold of the show, it's easy to do. Uh, there's quite a few venues to do so. You can email us at... Uh, uh, oh, I forget the email address. You can email us at darknessdwells74 at gmail.com. You can get a hold of us on uh, Twitter, which the feed for that is at darkdweller74. Uh, there's a website where you can uh, find the show, the episodes, uh, and that is uh, wheredarknessdwells.com. We're also available, uh, if you're wanna, wanting to subscribe, uh, we're available on Stitcher as as well as iTunes, and I think Microsoft has a, has a platform for this too, and we're available on that as well. Oh, and, I, didn't, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I didn't either, uh, but apparently there it is. And I'd like to thank Keith for that, actually. Keith Shago, he's the one who uh, set that up. And um, uh, there's a Facebook group. You could, uh, Did I? No, I didn't do that one. There's a Facebook group you can go and join, and, and we can discuss. And there's also a page, a Facebook page, where that you can like. And to find that one, it's easy. It's just like uh, the website, except there's a Facebook tag. It's www.facebook.com slash where darkness dwells dot or there's no dot com after that it's just where darkness dwells so uh thanks everyone for listening uh, stay tuned because next week i think we're going to be talking about the final girls excellent i i i really like this one i can't wait to sit down and talk to you about this yeah it's going to be awesome so uh yeah that's it for us Ins- insert tagline here and and thanks everybody <laughs> All right, that was good. I like that. Insert tagline here, and thanks, everybody.
you uh, you really you threw me for a loop when you went you went to close the previous episode after the final girls episode. Yeah, that, that I was like I was about to go into like so final girls are pretty cool. I was like wait a minute, I, I got to go back to the wraparound the uh, Richard Thomas thing. <laughs> All right, so that was uh, that was a pretty exciting uh, venture down uh, uh, down into uh, Richard Thomas's uh, <clears throat> all his projects that are going on. Always, always, always interesting to touch base with him. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I said before that I I don't remember where I stumbled across him, but uh, I submitted a short story to one of the anthologies that that he was editing and uh, he's got some some uh, a, a web page where it lists everything that he's submitted and where to in some of his favorite magazines and I use it as a touchstone you know when I when I want to find something good to read or, or whatever so uh, really fascinating character yeah I highly recommend too that people go I mean I went and I did it just the other day um, and I backed the project that he's currently working on it's uh, the uh, the gamut magazine that that we talked about when when I was talking about or talking with Richard. It is now up and running. Uh, when we were talking, it wasn't. And uh, I loved like he brought it up, and I had no idea. Like at first, I was like, "Oh no, I didn't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't research enough." But you know, at the time, it wasn't uh, it wasn't exactly um, you know it was kind of under wraps, I guess you could say, hush hush kind of thing. Uh, well, not hush hush, but it wasn't, you know, news yet. But now it is. So I urge everyone to go to Kickstarter, and uh, you can look up either Gamut Magazine, that's G A M U T, uh, or you can look up Richard Thomas, and you will find uh, the said uh, Kickstarter project. And I highly recommend you back it. I mean, it's it's a really good deal. Like he said on the show. Um, you, if you go for the thirty-dollar one, uh, you get uh, a subscription to the magazine, and uh, the the price of that subscription is going to be approximately sixty dollars a year. And but if you sign up for that, so long as you keep uh, renewing your subscription, it's going to remain at thirty dollars. So it's sort of a locked-in fee, and that that's a really good deal right there. Especially with the uh, with the canon of authors that he's planning on on uh, publishing, and I, I took a look myself, and I don't know if if you posted a link to it or if, if that was somebody somebody else, but I it did, looks yeah. terrific. It looks really great. Yeah, I, I I posted it when I uh, when I backed it. I, I went for the thirty dollar one, and uh, right now, uh, with this being only like four or five days old, they're at ten thousand dollars. So uh, that's really cool, and I'm looking Very forward. Nice. I'm really looking forward to what they're going to do with that, because uh, there's some stellar authors on that. All right, so uh, so thanks everyone for listening. Um, it was a great time as as always, and uh, until until I come back with my new movie picks, stay dark, my friends. Stay there. Oh wait! Before we do any nope. of that, uh, we got oh, no. We're gonna we're gonna tell people where they can reach us. <gasps> yes. Don't don't stay dark yet. Don't turn out the lights. <laughs> not yet. No. No. Not yet. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if you want to get a hold of the show, it's easy to do. Uh, there's quite a few venues to do so. You can email us at uh, uh, 
Oh, I, almost, I forget the email address. You can email us at darknessdwells74 at gmail.com. You can get a hold of us on uh, Twitter, which the f- feed for that is at darkdweller74. Uh, there's a website where you can uh, find the show, the episodes, uh, and that is uh, wheredarknessdwells.com. We're also available uh, if you're wanna, wanting to subscribe. Uh, we're available on Stitcher as as well as iTunes, and I think Microsoft has a has a platform for this too, and we're available on that as well. Oh, I didn't, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I didn't either. Uh, but apparently, there it is. And I'd like to thank Keith for that. Actually, Keith Shago, he's the one who uh, set that up. And um, uh, there's a Facebook group. You could, uh, did I? No, I didn't do that one. There's a Facebook group you can go and join, and and we can discuss. And there's also a page, a Facebook page, where that you can like and to find that one. It's easy. It's just like uh, the website, except there's a Facebook tag. It's www.facebook.com/slash where darkness dwells dot or there's no dot com after that it's just where darkness dwells so uh thanks everyone for listening uh, stay tuned because next week i think we're going to be talking about the final girls excellent i i i really like this one i can't wait to sit down and talk to you about this yeah it's going to be awesome so uh yeah that's it for us Ins- insert tagline here and and thanks everybody change <laughs> got rained on Nobody flinched down by the arcade And the marquees weren't weeping They went stark raving mad And the cabbies were the only ones That really had it made And his cold trousers were twisted And the siren's high shrill And crumpled in his fist Was a five dollar bill And the naked mannequins With their Cheshire grins and I reckon tours and roused up outside, buddy, come on in, cause, cause the dreams ain't broken down here, nah, they're walking with a limp. Now that small change got rained on with his own 38. And nobody flinched down by the arcade. And the burglar alarm's been disconnected. And the newsman starts to rattle. And the cops are telling jokes about some whorehouse in Seattle. And the fire hydrants plead the Fifth Amendment. And the furniture's bargains galore. But the blood is by the jukebox on an old linoleum floor. And what a hot rain on 42nd Street. And now the umbrellas ain't got a chance. And the newsboy's a lunatic with stains on his pants Cause, cause small change got rained on with his own 38s And no one's gone over to close his eyes And there's a racing form in his pocket Circled blue boots in the thigh And the cashier at the clothing store didn't say why The siren tears the night in half Someone lost his wallet Well, it's surveillance of assailants If that's what you want to call it The whores hike up their skirts And fish for drugstore prophylactics But the mouths cut just like razor blades And their eyes are like stilettos And a radiator's steaming And her teeth are in a wreck 
nice. You won't let you kiss her, but what the hell do you expect? And the gypsies are tragic, and if you want to buy perfume, well, I'll bark you down like carnies, sell you Christmas cards in June. But a small change got rained on with his own 38. There's a headstone's a gumball machine. No more chewing gum or baseball cards or overcoats or dreams. And so was a hoosin down the sidewalk and it's only in his teens. Cause, cause small change got rained on with his own 38. And a fistful of dollars can't change that. And someone copped his watch fob. And someone got his ring. And that newsboy got his pork pie Stetson hat. And that tuberculosis old man at the Nelson wheezing cough. And someone will head south until there's a whole thing cools off. Cause the small change got rained on with his own 38. Yeah, small change got rained on with his own 38.